The Athletic. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with Now. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. They've had their warning. They've had their warning. Here's Lucy Bryans. That is remarkable from Arsenal. Oh, Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Now. Coming up, perfect Chelsea crowned WSL champions. Man City now sure they're heading to Europe, and Glum Brum relegated. Kate Borsey here with former England goalkeeper Rachel Brown-Finnis and commentator Vicky Sparks. What a final weekend to finish on. Welcome to both of you to the show. Vicky, you're at Kings Meadow watching Chelsea. Rachel, you're at Dagenham watching Arsenal. So we've got it all covered here on the show. And as we've intimated, a frenetic end to the season with the final Champions League place up for grabs as well as the title. Rachel, tell me what it was like watching Arsenal. Well, it was a beautiful sunny day in Dagenham and it was all going to plan really with uh, with Chelsea losing with those updates that we got every single minute from Kings Meadow. And then when Arsenal finally got the, the goal advantage, uh, that's when Chelsea kicked into gear and do what they do best, which is to put a dampener on anybody's <laughs> hopes. Um, ultimately, Arsenal did what they could do. But it was not enough. It certainly wasn't, Vicky. I'm sure Kings Meadow was very different once you got into the second half a bit. <laughs> what was that first half like there? Because, of course, all the fans were there in fine voice. The flags were waving. And it just wasn't the first half anyone expected, was it? No. I mean, I think that's it. We have to praise the atmosphere. And the Manchester United fans played their part in that, certainly, as well. Nearly 4,500 fans packed into Kings Meadow. But as you say, a few nerves as things very much didn't go Chelsea's way in the first half. At one moment that that stood out for me, at at 2-1 down when Chelsea were losing 2-1. And at that point, the title was going across London to Arsenal. The Chelsea fans started singing, we know what we are, champions of England, in a bid to galvanise their team. And and we remarked in commentary, Lindsay Johnson and I, to say, well, you know, they're not going to be if it stays like this. But, you know, the fans knew that. Of course they did. They tried to get behind their team in that way. They were singing it much more happily at 4-2 up because they were. They weren't going to be, once again, champions of England. (laughs) Well, we are blessed to have the commentators of both games here on the show today. So a warm welcome to both of you. Now, with the WSL decided there's only one domestic trophy left to play for on Sunday, we'll be announcing the winners of our FA Cup final ticket giveaway later in the show. So listen out for that. But first, let's digest the WSL's grand finale. It was Chelsea versus Man United and West Ham versus Arsenal. If Chelsea won, the title was theirs for the taking. Otherwise, Jonas Eideval's Arsenal were in with a shot. Well, Jonas Eideval has been saying he won't be keeping tabs on what's happening at Kings Meadow, but he might be very interested in this news. Oh, and it's the opening goal! And it's Martha Thomas who has scored it. Well, well, well. Manchester United come to the home of the champions. And they have taken the lead. Well, not good news for Jonas Eideval. There has been another goal at Kings Meadow and it's gone the way of Chelsea. And it's Aaron Cuthbert, a player you can always rely on. 
to be there when it matters for Chelsea. Well, getting updates from Kings Meadow perhaps, and there is more good news for Arsenal. Tune, and it's gone all the way through, and Ella Tune has retaken the lead for Manchester United. Cleared by Ladd as far as Kerr, and what a goal by Sam Kerr! And it's Wrighton, it's Guru Wrighton for Chelsea. News of another goal at Kings Meadow, and for the first time this afternoon, Chelsea are in front. It's Guru Wrighton who has scored the goal, and if Chelsea hold on to that lead, there is nothing Arsenal can do to take the title off them. Oh, oh, what's Sam Kerr gone and done? It's all over. Chelsea have done it. They are champions of England once again for a third season in a row. What a roller coaster that was. Manchester United looked like they might spoil the home side's party in the first half. Chelsea needed a response and boy, did Sam Kerr give them one. That was possibly the most outrageous goal of the season, her second, by the way, controlling a high ball with her chest, turning and hitting a looping volley on the turn over Mary Earps. With that, Chelsea won 4-2 and were crowned champions in front of the home fans. What an occasion. Let's reflect, first of all, if we can, Rachel, on the fact that it did come down to the final day of the season. Arguably, were this Chelsea team better this season than leaving it right until the death? I'm not sure they were better this season. I just think that they've been pushed by Arsenal, uh, that they've been pushed by a hugely emphatic late surge from Manchester City, and that teams are better around them, and that They've had points taken off of them probably where they hadn't expected it. When you look at the second-to-last game against Birmingham, relegated Birmingham now, and they just about got over the line against Birmingham 1-0 with a penalty. So Chelsea, of course, have got better. And the likes of Sam Kerr are really coming to prove the world-class players that Emma Hayes had signed. And the majority of that Chelsea squad have been there now for a couple of seasons, if not more. And with that, they get a better understanding of how each other works. But also that each of those players in that squad are world-class. And when you're training with world-class players who not only that have got a world-class mentality in that they are perennial winners at domestic level uh, and for some ca- in some cases at international level, then that is going to better the squad. It's going to better individuals. So th- we're seeing the best of a Chelsea squad, but we're also, in my opinion, seeing the best WSL that we've ever had as well. Mm, it's been it's been a fantastic season. There were signs around the ground in Emma We Trust. Touched on this a little bit already, Vicky, but <laughs> was anyone, do you think, questioning that going into halftime? And, and what happened in that second half that really meant Chelsea could find their gear and seal this one? I don't think... People were, I think people were nervous. But I think when you go back to whether Chelsea deserve this title, I think the thing that stands out for me is, yes, they do. Because 
of the way that they held their nerve, not just on the final day, but over the final few games, because there were moments where they could have crumbled. I mean, you've got the 3-1 win at Spurs where they came from behind and had goalkeeper Anne Katrin Berger sent off mm. after 33 minutes. We had the late penalty that we've already mentioned to break Birmingham's resistance. And then the final day, they were outplayed by Manchester United in the first half. We were absolutely excellent. They're 2-1 down at the break. The title's heading to Arsenal. But Emma Hayes is not the FIFA Women's Coach of the Year for nothing because she changed the fate of that match and the fate of the title at halftime. It's easy to focus on her ability to galvanise a side. And I'm sure whatever she said at the break in the dressing room had an impact. But it's the tactical changes that really stood out. Double substitution at halftime, Bethany England and Ji So Yun on. And just as importantly, the switch in formation that that allowed to the more usual back three. Yes, it helps that Sam Kerr whacks in a worldie within 47 seconds of the restart. <laughs> and suddenly the title is coming to King's Meadow again. Of course, that helps. Of course, that changes the mentality and the feel around the place and the feel on the pitch. But Chelsea were like a different side in the second half from that start as soon as the whistle went, which allowed Sam Kerr to, to score that goal. And that is because of the changes that Emma Hayes made. Yeah, Rachel, an absolute masterstroke there really by Emma Hayes. And Rachel's right. We sort of talk about talk about her galvanising teams, but her tactical changes have been so important for Chelsea this season. She knows how to get the best out of her players, but she also comes in with more than one game plan as well. And on the final day of the season, when everything's at stake, it does... It does take boldness, doesn't it, to kind of dramatically change things up. She needed to do something, and that was absolutely crucial. As a player, Rachel, I've heard Emma and actually Erin Cuthbert talking about the fact that at half time, there's no shouting, there's no, there's no accusing, uh, there's no stress. It's always very, very calm. And Emma Hayes has commented that her team seem, or that this this iteration of her team seemed to do really well in a crisis. They seem to manage crisis really really well tell me about that as a former player how important that is and what it's like to achieve as well to be to be ultimately calm in a crisis well the key thing is is that Emma Hayes has had time to assess how best each player and the team respond to different scenarios but also to different ways of conveying information so you can you can motivate your team in different ways and different teams are motivated in different ways. So she's clearly found she's very intelligent, not only coach, but player manager, because as a coach, you can have an influence on a day to day as far as improving tactics, understanding disciplines uh, within units work uh, and also improving players on a technical basis. But what I feel she's improved the players more on is, and when I use the term galvanized, I meant Every aspect from a mental performance point of view, that is where the improvements for me have come with Chelsea. And that starts with Emma Hayes, first of all, identifying what her players' characteristics are like. So, you know, there's loads of um, personality tests and they are absolutely done, not just at Chelsea, but there at Chelsea to understand personalities better. If you understand a person better, you can understand them as an athlete, you can understand what motivates them and how to motivate them. And she's clearly found that staying calm at half time, because what's gone in the first half, and this was me as a player, has gone in the first half. At half time, you have a short window as players, as coach, as your whole staff to provide a solution for the second half. No point in ranting or raving or, you know, dwelling on what has gone in that first half. 
okay, what can we do for the second half? What are we going to do? What's the game plan? Okay, go out and execute it. It's very simple in some ways, but sometimes it's easier said than done. And then a lot of that comes down to Emma Hayes, her personality, but also she's very aware of that short window of impact, of time that she has to impact on her team in a positive way. And that is the brains of it all. Emma Hayes is the brains of it all. The staff that she has created behind the scenes to continuously push levels of performance, more on the mental side than the sports science side, although she's progressed in the sports science side as well with looking into menstrual cycles and how best to manage those. On every level, she is she's finding her team, pushing them into new territory. And that will ultimately, what she hopes, is to fight on all fronts, including the Champions League. Yeah, you know, this is her third consecutive WSL title. It's a brilliant feat. Let's talk about the goals. Rachel, for you, when I was watching all this back, just going over it all, against Sam Kerr's second goal, I've just written in capital letters, goal of joy. <laughs> uh, because I just thought it was so good. But arguably, her first goal in this game was a was a cracker of a volley too. I mean, they were both brilliant goals. She, of course, Sam Kerr is the golden boot winner this season. Your assessment of Sam Kerr this season and what makes her able to produce. And she knew, she told Erin Cuthbert the day before the game that she was going to produce a worldie. Tell us about that. Give us some insight into a player like that. (laughs) Well, she is a big player who provides big moments in big games. And that is when Emma Hayes knows she can rely on a player like Sam Kerr. When she first came into the league, I think probably most of us felt relatively underwhelmed with her performances. But you, I guess, consider the adjustments she's made, moving to a completely different country in the middle of the beginning of a pandemic, Anyway, put all that to one side. What she's producing now is the Sam Kerr that people raved about, is the Sam Kerr that is why she's Australia's captain, is, you know, the Sam Kerr as to why in every single league she holds a record for numbers of goals scored. She's kind of the polished version. But what she has never, ever done is wavered in her desire to want to be the best. And what I mean by that is even if she's missed, fluffed the lines two, three, four, five times in front of goal, She's never once questioned her belief and stopped working tirelessly. And that's what I really admire about Sam Kerr is that she's not in and out of games. She's 100% in every single game. She's in the positions. And, you know, that beautiful period of of, uh, the season when her and Frank Kirby were just completely unstoppable, that was was so joyous to watch because it seemed so natural and so synchronised. And uh, she's a player who, who walks the walk. She can talk the talk, anyone can. But to walk the walk is a completely different thing. And uh, I think it's she's, she's a wonderful addition to the to the Women's Super League. Yeah, apparently it's all about visualisation, ladies. So if there's if there's any end of season wishes both of you have, it's, it's basically all in the visualisation. Hey, don't 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 um, don't underestimate that. That's no, what I'm talking no, about no. the mental performance yeah. side of things. As a goalkeeper, most of what we focused and made improvements on was on the mental side of our yeah. game. And that was yeah, things great. like visualization. It was um, that lots of you know positive language. Um, that everything that keeps you in the game and keeps you focused and keeps you believing. Um, so yeah, and they for me are where the biggest gains are still to be made in our relatively our sport that's relatively in its infancy from a professional's point of view. 
Vicky, Manchester United finish in fourth outside those Champions League places, of course, having come really, really close. How do you assess Mark Skinner's season? Oh, so close. Yeah, again, for Manchester United, isn't it? I mean, they missed out on the Champions League places by a point last season, five points this season, but they took it to the final day still. Only their fourth season as a professional club as well, we have to remind ourselves, and they're certainly establishing themselves up there. But but Mark Skinner saying that they've got to recruit to close the gap, and, you know, that's the bottom line, isn't it? You can see the gap between their squad in terms of depth, and world-class quality compared with Manchester City and Arsenal and Chelsea. Now, I'm not saying they don't have some great players. They clearly do. But in in terms of that world-class ability running through the squad, that's where Chelsea and Manchester City and Arsenal have the edge. I mean, players have impressed this season. Martha Thomas has had a very good end to the campaign on the score sheet against Chelsea as well. Mary Earps, quality goalkeeper, set to be England's number one at the Euros this summer. Alessia Russo's had a good season, 11 goals for the campaign. She scores them against big sides as well, which is so key. But who's their Miedemar? Who's their Kerr? Who's their Hemp? Where is the truly world-class quality? And not just with one player, but across the squad that will take them to the next level. That's the question they have to address. I think loads of Man U fans are going to be screaming, Ella Toon, what about Ella Toon? Ella Toon, very (laughs) much so, very much so. But I think the one thing I would say with Ella Toon, and again, I think she's got a huge future. I think she's a fantastic player. I think she'll do well for England at the Euros this summer. But when we talk about Sam Kerr and and players that really, really stay in games, there there are times this season where I've watched Ella Toon and she has been world-class. There are times this season where I've watched Ella Toon and I've thought... I want to see more from you in this particular game and for this period of the game. And I think occasionally she can drop out of games. Now, all players do that. You know, we, we mentioned Sam Kerr earlier. I think Rachel's absolutely right that she'll she'll keep going and she'll keep going and she'll keep getting in those positions. But, you know, she, she does miss chances as well. Of course she does. No player's perfect. That's what I want to see more from Ella Toon, that consistent impact that she has in games because we see her do it in patches we absolutely do and 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 hear me I think Manchester United fans I think Ella Toon can be world class I want to see that consistency from her and that consistent impact across games I'm just saving you getting heckled next season or <laughs> next time you commentate on a Man United game uh, all right let's move on then on the other side of the title race Arsenal did all they could on the final day Blackstenius just on West Ham nil, Arsenal 1. Catley collects. Miedemar on the overlap. Catley! 2-0! Arsenal have done their bit. They have the three points here, but it's not going to be enough. In Dagenham, after a first half of missed Arsenal opportunities and solid West Ham defending, Stina Blackstinius, in her first and second touches of the game, turned and shot to put Arsenal in front. Uh, with a buoyed mood, Steph Catley made it two with a shot into the roof, but ultimately it was out of their hands. And Jonas Eiderfell said he felt very empty, which I thought was well, probably a very true thing to say, pretty stark indeed. Rachel Brown finished, you were commentating on this game and I'm sure it was pretty nervy really whilst you were trying to work out what was going on at King's Meadow. Was there a point though, you know, coming into half time, where there was sort of a special buzz going around the place because Chelsea were under the cosh of Manchester United and this really could happen for Arsenal? Absolutely. Uh, every time a goal went in, for Manchester United or something happened in the opposing game at Kings Meadow, you, you knew without 
without having a flash to the the uh, the goal on the TV. You could hear it in the crowd. There was a sudden either cheer or a sudden lull and a groan from the Arsenal fans who were clearly following every move. And we saw Jordan Nobbs in the stands with her phone watching, you know, the the Chelsea game. So I've no doubt, a hundred percent, that Jordan Eidval will have will have briefed the team at half time just because otherwise some people, some players would know and some wouldn't know. Uh, and I don't think that that's a healthy situation to be in. And, uh, you know, his tactic was to go and win the game, end of. But it was absolutely fascinating to have that jeopardy at half-time of, of Arsenal could still win the league and, you know, that the King's Meadow tie was far from done and dusted and Arsenal fans absolutely chomping at the bit, waiting for Arsenal to go ahead and do their bit with West Ham being so resolute defensively. So... But half time, it was really poised to go all the way till the death, till the 90th minute. But then Chelsea did what they do. Yes. I absolutely loved your description. Beth Mead had a wonderful chance. It didn't go in, but it was just, it was such a wonderful chance. And <laughs> and all you said in the comms was, it was a power driver. And my son turned <laughs> to me when we were, we were watching it back last night. My son went, What's a power driver? So there you go, Rachel Brown Finnis uh, inventing yeah. new ways of describing awesome goals. We'll perhaps talk about Beth Mead a little bit later on in the show. Um, Vicky, uh, Arsenal have had a very good season. Of course, it's ended in disappointment. What have been the secrets to their success this season, though? I think, again, you, you've got to look at the, the players they have. I mean, Beth Mead, we just mentioned her there. I, I just think she's absolutely fantastic. She's she's so key for them. Stina Black-Stenius coming in has, has clearly had a big impact after that arrival in January, scored some big goals for them and, and got them going against West Ham. You know, that that's the thing. You know, Arsenal only made the breakthrough. And this, again, shows the competitiveness of the WSL and also the pressure on the final team. They, they only made the breakthrough on the arrow. And it was Black-Stenius coming off the bench, finding that clear clinical edge. Of course, Miedema, I know we're going to talk about her future, but again, huge player for, for Arsenal this season. And, and and then you have the likes of, of Leah Williamson, again, who, yes, she, she had a spell out with injury, but but if we're talking about world-class bracket, I mean, she she is getting right up there, Leah Williamson. So they, they've got that that strength through the team, Arsenal. And and they were, they were so close. Yes, they are ending the season in disappointment. They haven't won a trophy. I think it'll be big disappointment that they didn't reach either of the, the two domestic cups finals but look they got they got further than any other English side in the Champions League this season they lost by a point by a point to Chelsea I mean Jonas Eideval I, I think he's he's had a really good season if you look at compare it with last season as well they were nine points off Chelsea they finished third he's closed that gap they've lost by a point they finished seconds you know it, it's certainly been a, a season of, of progression I think for Arsenal but not winning a trophy that's an issue for them because, you know, yes, they're in Europe again. That The Champions League is key when it comes to attracting players. I think that is the key, to be honest. And and they'll look at it, Arsenal, and say, look, you know, we, we were so close to winning the title. We went further in the Champions League than any other English side. Yes, we lost in the cuts, but, but that can happen. This Arsenal side will win trophies going forward. But trophies, of course, are key to attracting players. And, and if Arsenal aren't winning them regularly, that's a problem. I don't think that's the case. I, I think this Arsenal side will win silverware, no doubt about it. Rachel, where is there room for improvement in this Arsenal side? How do they how do they make up the extra point next season? I think the difference I saw between and why Chelsea are champions and Arsenal are not was the semi-final of the FA Cup when it was at Wood and Chelsea came out second half, as they have done quite on a number of occasions this season, 
and went from a third gear performance in the first half all the way up to fourth and fifth gear and absolutely steamrolled Arsenal and they had no re- response they put them on the back foot Chelsea and it was a it was a mentality shift it was uh, okay you know the, the halftime team talk a, a reassessment of what was needed more energy more ruthlessness and that is what the difference for me is yes you bring that with buying players like Penilla Harder who is He's winning things every single year and expects to win, expects to win, at, you know, brushing up the changing rooms, let alone, you know, a, a WSL title, uh, anything she does. And that mentality was clearly the difference for me between those two. Arsenal just almost looked dejected and their body language was was beaten at that point. Uh, I felt Chelsea were, were resembled that three, four years ago. They had that about them where they not gave up intentionally, but looked like they couldn't find a way back into games. And that's been the biggest shift. So, yes, that's bringing in world-class players who drive that change every single day. I think Caitlin Ford's been an excellent addition to the Arsenal squad as well. But that, for me, is where the biggest changes need to be in the Arsenal squad. What might Arsenal look like? next season though if there's no Vivian Miedemar Vicky you said that this team will win trophies would you still say that if they lost her yes I would partly because you can build the team around Black Stenius and we, we've seen you know both of them can play together we've seen this shift in Miedemar's position since Black Stenius came in on, on on several occasions so it gives them that versatility I mean let's let's talk about Miedemar's future because this has been the standout question for pretty much most of the season, certainly the second half, as it became closer and closer to the summer, of course, she's out of contract this summer and and the question just has not been settled. I mean, her, her post-match interview, I, I thought, after the match against West Ham was really interesting. I'll, I'll quote some of it in full because I think it's good to hear directly what the player is saying. I want to win titles and this year I haven't won anything. If I feel like the club is moving in that direction then maybe I will stay another year or two years. I'm speaking with the club and Jonas Eideval. I will have a couple of weeks on holiday and will then make a decision. Now, obviously, a player is entitled to say whatever they want publicly. You know, if, if, we, if we take that at face value, the fact she's not yet made a decision is interesting to me. She's, of course, being very strongly linked with Barcelona, the reigning European champions who are into another Champions League final this season. I think if, if if you compare it with the men's game for a second, you know, it, we go across North London because it's a Harry Kane situation. She is one of the best players in the world. Her goal numbers are consistently outstanding. I'm sure she's going to sign for the Netherlands, shine for the Netherlands. She will, of course, continue to play for the <laughs> Netherlands. She's going to shine for the Netherlands at the Euros this summer. She wants a career that will reflect her quality mm. in terms of trophies as well as in terms of numbers, you know, it, she's got time on her side. You know, if you compare it to Kane, she's, she's got more years ahead of her. Wait and see, you know, it'll be a huge blow to Arsenal yeah. if she does leave for, for what you lose with her as a player, but for also the fact that you lose that caliber of player. And we've seen this change in the WSL, haven't we, over the last few years, you know, it used to be, you know, Lucy Bronze is a great example. If you wanted to win, the Champions League, if you wanted to win the top trophies, you went to Lyon. You had to leave the WSL. And now I think we're seeing players start to say, you know what? Maybe we've got a chance of winning it here. And that is going to be in Viviana Miedemar's 
mind. Can she win trophies with this Arsenal side? Can she win the biggest trophy of all with this Arsenal yeah. side? That's a big and question for her. The more her career goes on there, the more of a gamble it is. And it is back to the old adage of having great players that you reflect on in decades to come when you talk about the best players of the WSL. And 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 someone turning around and saying, well, she didn't win anything. And of course, you know, that always hanging around the player's neck. Good news for Arsenal is that manager Jonas Edeval has signed on for a couple more years. So uh, he can continue the good work that he started this season. In terms of West Ham, there was some managerial news there that was a bit left field, really. Ollie Hard has done a cracking job at the club, but he's announced that he's going to be leaving for a new opportunity. He's going to be replaced by former West Ham player Paul Koncheski instead. And in fact, in terms of what Hard is going to do, Emma Sanders from the BBC on Twitter has hinted that Houston Dash have shown an interest. So we'll see what happens there. Another bit of news for West Ham is that Jilly Flaherty has announced that she's leaving at the end of the season. She's definitely not, by the way, retiring. She was keen to point that out on Twitter. I'm not going anywhere, she said. So again, you know, we'll watch out for what happens with Jilly next. West Ham's season has been really, really strong, hasn't it, Rachel? They were ninth last season, sixth this season. We've seen some really impressive defending on display. Rachel, I know you've got a few audio gremlins, but tell us whether the club will hopefully be able to use this season as a reason to drive forward to the next. They will, and the appointment of Paul Koncheski, I think, is is excellent. He, I was chatting to Farrah Williams before that game, the Arsenal-West Ham game, and she was on her A licence, or they were on their A licence together. So he's clearly a, a driven coach. He's obviously synonymous with West Ham. And I think it's a wonderful profile to have to fit with the, the women's team. And, you know, the work that Oli Harder did, he brought in, I think it was 11 new players when he first came in. And that was always going to be very difficult to get the team gelled to be able to perform at the level needed. And they finished ninth, as you said, in the, in the first season. But they've certainly pushed on this season. You can't kind of underestimate how difficult it is for a manager to come in, rehouse, rehome people from different countries, uh, to get them living in a new country, speaking in a new language. Uh, and certain players like Svitkova, I've been really impressed with her, Czech Republic international player. Sissoko, uh, centre-half, was absolutely outstanding against Arsenal. And yes, she's had a couple of red cards and is that type of player. Um, Laura Bassett was saying how much she admired her as a player. And I thought, well, that's because you two played exactly the same way as each other. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of ankle biters and, and no easy possession for any centre forwards. And I, I think she could see herself in Soko um, during those performances. So she's grown with um, her performances at the club. And, you know, to see Jilly Flaherty move on. That's unfortunate. That is the life of a footballer is you have a shelf life and playing at the top level. She's done that for so many years and had success at Arsenal as as well as being the captain at West Ham for such a long period of time. But players like Kate Longhurst have also been there for a long time. They've performed well. And Brynja's dot here for me was the standout player for West Ham at the weekend. And she's grown into her performances. She's been, she was, she was never still both defensively and offensively for West Ham. I think she'll be a key player for them moving forwards. They'll look to build a team around a player like her. Mm, that's right. We spoke to her on the pod a couple of weeks ago, actually. Best ever finish in the WSL for West Ham, this. Uh, so lots of positives to take. 
Well, the last prize up for grabs this season, the third Champions League spot, was Manchester City's for the taking, providing they could win their game. And it was indeed Manchester City who took the ticket to Europe in style with a 4-0 win away at Reading. Lauren Hemp opened the scoring to become City's top scorer this season. Then Bunny Shaw's tap-in took her tally to nine, one less than Hemp. Ellen White and Alex Greenwood rounded off the 4-0 win with a header and a penalty. Such a big turnaround then for Manchester City this season. And that's impressive in itself to have such a poor start and to get to a third place finish. I'm sure that there's work to be done still there, though, Vicky. I don't know whether you would agree what Manchester City need to need to focus on for next season. It's an interesting one. I mean, I think reflecting on this season first, you know, at one point they had double figures out in terms of injuries, including three goalkeepers. You know, look, we, we know they have a great squad, but that's a lot for, for any side to cope with. I think overall they, they will be pleased with this season, given that context. You know, it's the first time they finished outside the top two since... 2014, which was their first WSL season, but recovering and qualifying for the Champions League is a success, definitely. Winning the League Cup and beating Chelsea in the final is a success. If they win the FA Cup final, I think you'd have to say, given the context of everything, that that it is a, a very successful season, even if it's not what they would have hoped for at the start of the season in terms of a title challenge and, and going out of the Champions League so early as well. And I think looking ahead to next season, that's a key thing. They will want to rectify that, that they need to go deeper in Europe once again, if again they're going to be able to continue to attract the level of players that they've got. But in terms of what they need to to change for next season, honestly, I think just having a a fully fit squad and and keeping the players fit, and that's easier said than done. You know, you've got Chloe Kelly, hopefully, will will be able to have a a full season ahead of her. She was very much a season changer, wasn't she, Chloe? She was was one of the pivotal elements, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm so excited to see what she can do when she has a full campaign ahead of her. But, you know, Bunny Shaw has, has, has settled in well, I think, eventually. And, you know, we're starting to see that that quality that we expect from a player that's Jamaica's record goal scorer. So, you know, I, I think they've got the ingredients there. And I think it maybe goes back to what Rachel was saying earlier. You know, well, where are we going to see their mentality in these big games? We, we've certainly seen their mentality to, to come from where they were throughout this season. And I, I, th- I think they're in a good position. I'm, I'm interested to see what they can do next season when they've got everybody available. Yeah. And there are question marks about Caroline Weir, actually, links to Real Madrid. You know, again, nothing nothing confirmed at all, but just interesting that she hasn't fully committed her future to the club as we record this anyway. I think, you know, City's season, uh, as far as that goes, Rachel, this is proof that you shouldn't sack your manager when when the going gets tough. It's kind of hard to imagine now, but if you take yourself back to that point when it was going terribly for them, there were quite vocal calls from some fans for Gareth Taylor to go. We we criticise him on this pod for kind of seeming not to have a plan B in certain games. He was obviously heavily restricted by the players that he was without, but I think he's definitely, definitely proved and, and, and I think we can, we, can, we can throw Everton into this as well, can't we? Don't get rid of your manager too soon. Hang on in there. Well, it certainly hasn't worked for, for Everton. You're right. And it's always going to be a big change from losing Nick Cushing and the way and style that he has played, had played over the years and the success that he'd had with, you know, what was ultimately a similar group of players, certainly key players. Uh, that that he'd honed and their style of play was really difficult to play against. And uh, with Gareth Taylor coming in and 
seemingly the play has taken a while to adjust to his style of play and it not always been clear for the likes of us commentating on games as to what that style was as well. I think the identity of Manchester City has had a shift, a big shift. Uh, and now he's had time and certainly had a core group of players back fit um, as, as allowed the 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 time on the pitch in training for his ideas and his philosophy is certainly been breeding the performances and results that he will have expected at the beginning of the season. I think Alex Greenwood has had an exceptional season playing at centre-half. She's almost reinvented herself as a centre-half, which will be hugely favourable when it comes to selection time for the Euros. For Serena Wiegmann, looking at what players are in form, she's been exceptional this season for Manchester City. Uh, being able to play left-back as well as centre-half was certainly put her in a great position. I can see a vine for a starting position at centre-half, albeit Leah Williamson and Millie Bright, you could argue, are the two first two names on the on the team sheet at centre-half. But she has been wonderful and been one of those core players that's got Manchester City out of the hole that they started at the beginning of the season in. We should also give an honourable mention to Lauren Hemp as well, who's been outstanding this season and, you know, really added goals to her game as well. She's such a, I don't even think she's a wonderful prospect anymore. I think, I think she's nearly there and she'll be, she'll be absolutely amazing to watch during the Euros and into next season. Time a little bit against us. I'm going to move on to Reading with you, Vicky. Uh, I'm going to call them the Stealth Club. Suddenly they're mid-table and I don't know how they did it. Three points behind West Ham, who are in sixth. Reading are there or thereabouts again, aren't they? But I don't, I don't really know how. Yeah, and I think again, you, you, you've got to give credit to them. I mean, you look—they—they've almost, almost managed to to creep up to their their position last season, where they finished seventh. And you know, it's it's real, real credit to them. And I think again, you, you look at the the wider competitiveness of the WSL. You know, obviously we've we've got the the top three who again have, have managed to to pull away from Manchester United, but then. So many clubs are in positions to really build on on the seasons that they've had. But, it'd be, you know, Reading, I, I think in the end, you know, trailed off a little bit in terms of their results to the end of this season, you know, three defeats in their last four. But, you know, they, they've managed to, to kind of get to that mid-table position once again. But, you know, you look at the teams around them, you know, Brighton just above, West Ham, Tottenham, it's it's becoming so competitive now. And if you want to continue building in the WSL, then I, I think we're, we're seeing you've got to invest and, and that's the bottom line. Well, that was City's second big win of the week as they beat Birmingham 6-0 midweek. And with that, Birmingham were relegated. Well, Birmingham ended the season with a consolatory 1-0 victory against Aston Villa at Villa Park in the second City derby, thanks to an early goal from Viatriki Sarri. Um, let's pick up on Birmingham, though. It looked inevitable, didn't it, for Birmingham, Rachel? Even when we weren't that far into the season, they struggled to get the performances. And it felt like when they were down at the bottom of the table, they spent most of the season there. It was just going to be really, really hard for them to resuscitate themselves from that. They'll be playing championship football next season. How do they reset and sort of where do they start? It's so it was so tough. It was so tough coming into the season. The changes, I think, started the pre-season with seven players and the manager that was there had to basically create a whole new team and did exceptionally well to stay in the in the hunt. Darren's come in and the way that he's got his team together and made them really difficult to beat and their performances, beating Arsenal, losing 1-0 to Chelsea in, in such a, a 
kind of stoic fashion, I think, just shows the progress that they have made. But ultimately, it comes down to investment. You get the feeling that not everything's okay at the club, behind the scenes. That's not anything informed knowledge that I have, but that's the feeling that I have. And the players deserve better. And if Birmingham City want to get back and stay back in the Women's Super League, then everything behind the scenes has to be, it has to be stable. There's been, you know, player changes, manager changes. That's unsettling for the whole club as well as the players actually involved in playing. Um, and I think they've gone about their business really, really well in the performances that they've, they've put in towards the end of the season. Let's reflect on Aston Villa, Vicky, with you. Uh, they've improved slightly, 10th last season, they're finished 9th this season. But it's about getting up to that next level, really, and that will depend on investment. They've got a very good manager there already, I think. And so it's just it's just the money available, I think, for that Aston Villa club, isn't it? And how Carla Ward can keep driving them forward, what she needs to do to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the the challenge always, isn't it? You know, it's it's the each stage of the process as you say the next step is for them to keep moving up but I think we have to praise them you know for for establishing themselves you know like you say ninth this season but becoming that established WSL side the biggest question for them this summer will be how they replace Anita Asante because again what, what an amazing servant she's been to the game but she's been so influential for them this season even at the age of 36 now 37 as it was her birthday last month as well you know that that's a big player of course from what she offers on the pitch but as well as what she offers in the dressing room and you know that that that'll be the the key area I think that they want to address but again you're looking at that need to just for, for all of the clubs in that kind of mid table just where can we improve the squad where can we take it on but but in terms of teams that are losing players this season you look at Jilly Flaherty at West Ham as well you know when you lose those those key elements in the defence that that'll be a big question for for Villa but no I think they've done well I think they'll be pleased with this season and it's about building on that foundation now for them. Well in the other games of the weekend Spurs beat Leicester City 1-0 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium thanks to a goal from Ashley Neville and Brighton versus Everton ended in a one-all draw Eileen Whelan answering Natalie Bjorn's goal. Before the game Whelan announced she'd be leaving Brighton at the end of the season. Big improvement for Tottenham then Rachel they finished fifth compared to eighth last season. Rianne Skinner let's discuss her Uh, not only had Tottenham in the fight for the Champions League for the majority of the season but she also inflicted that surprise defeat on Manchester City is Rianne Skinner one of the WSL's best boss girls I think she's arguably had best full debut season as a manager the way that she's transformed Spurs from a newly promoted team to a team that have been really resolute and organized in the defending the way that they've defended set pieces all season has been really admirable Uh, And what they've added to being really difficult to beat, which she brought almost instantly when she joined as manager, was their goal-scoring threat, whether that's from set pieces uh, or whether it's from open play. They've been been astounding this season, the transformation under her in such a, a short period of time. I think what they need to do to build in the future is to have a stronger depth of squad, which, you know, any relatively new a fully professional WSL team will be looking to do that. Um, starting 11 have been excellent, but with the loss of Kit Graham for the majority of the season with a bad knee injury, they didn't have too many attacking options off of the bench. Um, losing Rhea Percival, I think, was could be a big thing for them as well. She was so versatile in what she could bring and where she could play. 
Uh, and Ashley Neville has been a standout player for them. She's played pretty much every single game, if not every game. Been able to play in different positions as well, both as a defender and more of an attacking player down that right flank. Um, and so she has had a fantastic season. And I'm sure you feel like there's not a game that Spurs ever come off and they think that they could have done more because she gets everything out of every player every single game. Let's talk about Everton, Vicky, from 5th to 10th in the space of a season. This has come as a warning for the club, I think, really. But they've got a new manager for next season in Brian Sorensen. What are his challenges? Well, I think it, that's it for Everton, isn't it? If you change manager twice in a season, you're up against it. And they, they need stability. I think, firstly, it's about putting this season to bed and saying, right, this is a new start. This is a fresh slate. We're going to go forward now as a club and and build on, on what I think the frustrating thing for Everton fans will be that they were in such a good position to build on, weren't they? I mean, we, we've seen them reach an FA Cup final in recent years. As you say, they finished fifth last season. They looked as though they were poised to go on and, and become one of those sides. I put them in the bracket of, you know, Manchester United and Tottenham that were really going to push to break into that top three. Now, I don't think Everton, you know, w- would have done it, but I think that was where they were as a club. And now they've had this this massive drop-off. I mean, I, I think that is the main challenge. It's about resetting the mentality and saying, look, this is where we were a year ago. This is potentially where the quality of the squad can be. And how do we now almost write the season off completely and just start this coming season with the mentality of this is where we want to be. We, we want to be... I think it's now, in in reality, on the coattails of of Tottenham and Manchester United and making sure that we don't lose that gap to them and we're able to to actually push back to to where we were. But but it's been an incredibly frustrating season, I'm I'm sure, for everybody at Everton. And, you know, from an outside, from a neutral perspective, I think it was frustrating as well because it really looked as though they were going to be one of the teams that were really pushing up there and, and it's just all gone horribly wrong. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how all this plays out next season because arguably with the players they have, Everton should be up there with Tottenham and with Manchester United competing for Champions League places as was their aim at the beginning of the season, of course. Some lessons learned, I think, behind the scenes maybe there as well. Uh, very briefly, Leicester, Rachel, uh, let's just summarise them in a couple of sentences. If I can charge you with that, please. Um how much did they benefit, do you think, from the from the collapse of Birmingham? Is there an argument to say, well, Birmingham were sort of already dead and buried kind of a little way into the season. Leicester had a change of manager in November with, with Lydia Bedford, who I think has been a really positive addition to the team, hasn't she? But how do we rate Leicester's chances going into next season, just bearing in mind that, that they may have been, you know, perhaps dealt a favour by Birmingham? They were undoubtedly dealt a favour with Birmingham. The adversity they had to overcome Birmingham to even field the team at the beginning of the season, uh, they they did really well. And with Leicester coming up this year, it was always going to be difficult because that leap up from uh, from the division below to the WSL is huge. Um, from going to playing against part-time teams on uh, a weekly basis to playing against some of the world's best players and obviously all full-time teams as well. That is a a challenge and a a huge step up for for any team. But they have survived and that's ultimately what every team coming up from the championship, um, that's their first and foremost. That's what they, they want to do. Aston Villa did it well the season before. Leicester did it well this season. But they know that it won't be enough 
next season, they have to continue to build. I think losing Jonathan Morgan has, uh, has proven to be the right thing to do for the team, for the club moving forwards. And they need to add more WSL experience. They have quite a lot of youngsters, uh, as well as a couple of um, experienced WSL players. But knowing how to get over the line, knowing how to dig deep at times, because being underdogs week in, week out is difficult mentally as well as physically. Uh, and continuing to build on, you know, what really is good work to stay in the WSL in the first season, you have to say is a huge, big tick next to Leicester. More of the same next season, but add to what they have already got. Okay, well, as far as Brighton goes, listen to last week's podcast because there was a great little assessment of Brighton's season uh, and we need to move on to some of our moments of the season. Well, with the WSL wrapped up, it's time to say goodbye to Rachel Brown-Finnis. Rachel, it's been wonderful to get your assessment of the season. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. And I'm going to hang on to Vicky Sparks because we've got our moments of the WSL season with now and some sneaky awards to give out. Moments of the Women's Super League with Now. Watch the big moments from the WSL Live with a Now Sports membership. Time then for our moment of the WSL season with Now. Our standout moment from a whole season that's been absolutely brilliant to watch and so good for the game. So we haven't really talked about that enough. What a brilliant season it's been for women's football overall in this country. Vicky Sparks, can I tempt you to offer yours, please? Well, I was edging towards that Sam Kerr chest and volley, particularly seeing it live as well at Kings Meadow. I mean, that 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 is a stand this is the standout goal of the season. Absolutely. Uh, but I am gonna say overall, look at the season overall for a moment that I think really stands out. Beth Mead breaking the WSL's all-time assist record last month, moving ahead of Karen Carney when Mead set up Jordan Nobbs. It was just outstanding. I mean, and and for for me to be able to to break that record, I've said already in this podcast, I think she is an absolutely outstanding player, and yeah, I, I think that is that is such a special moment for her. That assist in their three 0 win against Everton for Nobs, and she deserves it. She deserves it. You know, talking of Arsenal, I was thinking about whether we go right back to the first game of the season and Arsenal setting their intention, which did genuinely surprise all of us. We didn't know quite what we were going to get. And that 3-2 win against Chelsea uh, certainly set a few tongues wagging. And we're like, oh, OK, then. All right. Game on. That was great. But I think if we're going for an ultimate moment, I've got to go for that Sam Kerr goal, her second goal in the game against Manchester United. The fact that so much was at stake and she is able to produce a moment of brilliance like that, as you say, a chess a turn and volley, absolutely brilliant goal. And that's the quality that we want to see from the Women's Super League. And as you can tell, we've got our own special The Athletic Women's Football Podcast Awards as well here on the show today. So let's start, shall we, Vicky, with your player of the season. Got to be Sam Kerr. Back-to-back golden boots, two huge goals on the final day to help Chelsea to the title and what world-class volleys as well. Simply unreal. Gosh, Lauren Hemp needs 
perhaps to be a point in this discussion, but I'm going to go for Beth Mead just because I've loved watching her reincarnation this season. Third in the scoring charts, on a mission to prove the doubters, see Hego Rousse, uh wrong, and she did. And I think it's it's been a it's been a great season for her. So if if you've got to go for Kerr, I've got to go for Mead, goalkeeper of the season, Vicky. I think there's a few contenders here. I mean, Anka Trimberger, again, has made some worldy saves for Chelsea, but I'm going to steer away from Chelsea because there's been a little bit of rotation with Mushevich, who's, who's done really well as well. I'm going to go for Mary Earps, partly because she is such an integral player for Manchester United, big part of their push for the Champions League. She's been ever-present in the WSL since they were promoted. She's set to be England's number one at the Euros this summer, and she's capable of a couple of worldy saves as well. So, yeah, for me, Mary Earps. Yeah, it's really hard to look beyond Mary Earps as well. And Catherine Berger, good point. She got sent off though, didn't she? She nearly, nearly spoiled it for Chelsea in that one. Um, I think Mary Earps is top of the save charts as well. And just in terms of her, actually, in terms of her being a little bit in the wilderness, really, in terms of her standing within the England setup, I think it's been a great season for her. And she's matured, I think, really, really well into an outstanding and reliable goalkeeper, which is what you want. Manager of the season, Vicky? It's got to be. It's got to be Emma Hayes. And I think, again, you could you can look at Jonas Eidevel, I think has, has had a very good season w- with Arsenal. But Emma, she's the reason why Chelsea won the title this season. And as we've talked about earlier in the podcast, that was epitomised. The changes she made at halftime against Manchester United won that title for Chelsea. She's outstanding. Her tactical awareness, the flexibility that she has of formations, the impact she has on her players. It has to be Emma Hayes. I don't think I can detract much from that, but I will say for a debut season, Jonas Eideval's done brilliantly, really. And look, it was the difference of a point. If Arsenal had won the league this season, we'd, we'd probably be giving him that. Um, Oli Harder as well, again, we mentioned it earlier, but a terrific first season in the WSL. And I'm sorry that we don't get to see that continue. Unsung player of the season, Vicky. Now, I'm going to go for a player who I've mentioned already, spoiler alert, (laughs) in this podcast. (laughs) I think it's because of her importance to her club this season, but it's also because of the career that she's had. So I'm cheating a little bit, but it's, for me, Anita Asante, retiring after an outstanding 19-year career, massive player for them this season. What a massive impact she's had across her career. Quadruple winner with Arsenal in 2007, 71 caps for England. And still at the age of now 37, she's been there at the heart of that Villa backline, helping them to continue to establish themselves in the WSL. What a player, what a career. Outstanding. Mm, we love Anita on this podcast. I'm quite happy with that. I'm going to give Spurs fullback Ashley Neville a mention, though, for this one, the unsung player of the season. Best ever season for her club. Uh, she's added goals to her game, actually, Ashley Neville, which is one of the main reasons for me putting her there. She's been really integral to such a solid Spurs and they can only build on that. Uh, she was Player of the Month in February as well, remember. So for me, Spurs fullback Ashley Neville gets my vote. Now, maybe you agree with what we've chosen, listeners. Maybe you don't. You can get in touch either way at The Athletic UK or at Offside Rule Pod. You can give your own season awards out. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, coming up on Sunday, it's the last silverware of the domestic season. Chelsea take on Manchester City in the FA Cup final at Wembley. It's a rematch, isn't it, of the Continental League Cup final, which saw Man City win 3-1. 
both sides then looking for their second silverware of the season. Quick prediction from you, Vicky, and will you be at this one? I will. I'll be commentating uh, for five Sports Extra, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, oh, who will win? I, as a commentator, I tend to sit on the fence. I'll, I'll give you my overall assessment and, and you can draw your own conclusions. I think Chelsea will be so disappointed with the way they lost the League Cup final. I thought Manchester City were outstanding in that second half. I think given the momentum that Chelsea have at the moment going for a domestic double, I think you have to make Chelsea favourites. But will Chelsea slip up again in the way that Manchester City forced them to do? I'm not sure. And I think I'll leave it at that. (laughs) I think Chelsea are going to enjoy this one. As long as they can... As long as they can leave everything else to one side for a minute, I think that they can really enjoy this game and therefore that might be to their benefits. And we've also got a very special announcement. As you may have seen, we have two pairs of tickets to give away for the final. People just had to answer the question, who won the first Women's FA Cup final to be held at Wembley? It was, of course, Chelsea in 2015, 1-0 against Notts County. I remember it well. We're going to keep teasing you a bit more with this one. One winner we're going to announce now and the second one will be revealed soon on Twitter at The Athletic UK. So the first winner is... Emily Bow. Congratulations to you, Emily. Have a fantastic time at the final and a big thank you to everyone who entered. Well, that's all we have time for on this week's Athletic Women's Football podcast. We already said goodbye to Rachel. She had to run off before the awards were announced. It's just because she didn't want to pin her colours to the mast, you see, Vicky. She's left that to us instead. Thank you, Vicky Sparks, for joining us. It's been a real end of season delight to have you on. And thanks to our listeners too. Do stick around, by the way. We've got episodes coming up for the FA Cup final and the Champions League final too before a Euros-filled summer. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get more exciting. And whether you're celebrating the Chelsea victory, drowning your gunners' sorrows or watching the FA Cup final, make sure you tell your friends and family about the podcast. Vicky, a big thanks to you. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. What a season we've had. So enjoyed it. And to our listeners, see you next time. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with NOW. With a NOW Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. The Athletic.